Hello, friends. I want to welcome you back to our podcast for such a time as this. We'll be starting a new series on growth and grace. I trust that the Holy Spirit will come and dwell within us and allow us to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Our scripture reading will be taken from 2 Peter 3, verse 18. Again, 2 Peter 3, verse 18. Rather, ye must grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. All glory to him, both now and forevermore. Amen. One of my favorite movies is the epic 1972 movie, The Godfather, featuring some of the greatest actors of all times. Actors like Marlon Brando as Don Vito Corleone, Al Pacino as Michael Corleone, James Caan as Sonny Corleone, and many others. There are many memorable scenes in the movie, but my most memorable scene is Michael Corleone being promoted to head of the crime family, and other influential crime bosses taking their turn as they walk in the procession up to Michael Corleone, kissed his ring finger as a sign of respect and welcoming him to head of the family. As they kiss Michael Corleone's hand, welcoming to head of the family, they were expressing their loyalty to the family. But in a real sense, they were saying to the new godfather, this is more than just a kiss, but it's a new birth for the godfather. Therefore, he is charged with uh, new responsibilities to the family. Responsibility cannot be cannot cannot be compromised. There is a code of conduct for which he must adhere. As we embark on a new series of message on growth, I, I see some similarities between that epic movie and the life of a Christian. When Michael Corleone was being kissed, his life was beginning anew. It's akin to a new birth. When the sinner comes to accept Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, he too has accepted a new birth. It's a new beginning. With each beginning, there are codes of conduct. Code of conduct is that for the Godfathers that the end justify the means, winning at all costs. In a real sense, is a carnal, unrighteous code of conduct. However, the Christian is when the Christian is welcome into the family. The life of the Christian, the life code of the Christian, 
is righteousness at all costs. But for this good of conduct to take preeminence in the life of the Christian, the Christian must grow in grace. The Christian must combat and insulate themselves from false teaching. And the only way to ensure this is to grow in grace. And so Paul implores the believers to grow in grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be glory now and forever. Amen. Why did the Apostle Peter feel compelled to give this admonition to the believers? While you see the church was still young and, and growing and seductive influences of new and forceful teachers were at work in the congregations and were destabilizing the faithful. So a growth in grace and knowledge was urged upon them, not to impress the world, but to rescue fellow believers from spiritual disaster. Knowledge of Christ and knowledge about Christ are both, if they keep pace with each other, a safeguard against heresy and apostasy and the means of growth in grace. I believe the best antidote to error is truth. And the Christian must constantly be exposed to the truth. Less error creeps in unaware. So Peter wants his, re his readers to grow in grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ taking time in Bible study and living out their faith. Yes, the Christian life begins with a birth. Upon receiving, the Christ, the, the, upon receiving Christ, we are born again. John 1, 12, 13 talks about that. Like most life, most things in life, there are always right and wrong ways to respond to God. The right way and the only meaningful ways to believe the gospel and receive the Savior and accept a new birth as a result. The wrong way uh, somehow links relationship to God with human qualities such as physical birth, self-determination, or the choice of another person. John's theological vocabulary from John 1, 12, 13 tells that the believer, he believes and receives a synonymous what comes to the gospel. Patrick Henry once said, The most cherished position I wish I could leave you is my faith in Jesus Christ. With him and nothing else you can be happy, but without him and all else you'll never be happy. So how can a person, a person, a sincere person experience this new birth? This provocative question came from a sincere Jewish lawmaker, Nicodemus, as in John, told in John 3. Dr. James Montgomery Boyce tells the story of Former governor of Texas, Governor Neff. In his story, he tells how the governor received an invitation to 
speak at one of the penitentiaries in the state. He spoke to assembled prisoners and afterwards said that he would be around for a while to listen to anything any of the convicts might wish to tell him. He would take as much time as they wanted and anything they would tell him would be kept in confidence. Convicts began to come one at a time. One after another told him a story of how they had been unjustly sentenced, were innocent and wished to get out. Finally, one man came who said to him, Governor Neff, I don't want to take much of your time. I only want to say that I really did what they convicted me for, but I've been here a number of years. I have paid my debt to society and that if I were released, I would be able to live an upright life and show myself worthy for your mercy. This was the man that the governor never pardoned. Dr. Boyce acknowledged that there are some flaws in his illustration. Some of the men that came forth and proclaimed their innocence might in fact have been unjustly convicted. While the man that acknowledges guilt might have been manipulating the governor to gain his freedom. Nevertheless, the point of the story stands. The first step in rehabilitation of any man lies in the admission of guilt. To benefit from a doctor, the patient must admit that he's sick. Just as is true in medicine, business, and criminal rehabilitation, so it is true spiritually. Therefore, much of the Word of God is given over to revealing man's need so that a person might acknowledge his need and turn to God for pardon. The story of Nicodemus is what separates the gospel from religion. As I contemplate the notion of rebirth, I'm drawn to that story. You may be familiar with the story of Nicodemus, Pharisees and a member of the Sanhedrin inquiring of things, uh, things of eternity. So the astute man of the law came to Jesus and asked, how can a man be born when he's old? Most of us that have been in Christian settings for some time might be so familiar with this profound question that we truly do not contemplate the true meaning of what Nicodemus was asking. Please keep in mind that Nicodemus was not an ordinary Jew. He was the doorkeeper of the Jewish religious rituals. So he adhered to a nitty-gritty of the law. Nicodemus Nicodemus's real question to Jesus was, what separates the gospel from the law? He thought they were not mutually exclusive. So upon hearing the radical statement made by Jesus that for a man to have eternal life, he must be born again, Nicodemus trained in the law was fully convinced that abiding by the law was enough for salvation as he believed the gospel and the law were the same. <clears throat> However, <clears throat> here comes the great lawgiver, 
saying to him, you are wrong, Nicodemus. The law for which you're an expert highlighted your depraved state, but it cannot save you, Nicodemus. Your expertise in the laws in itself is insufficient to save you. In essence, the law is like looking into a mirror. You can see the dirt on your face, but you will not. You will need a cleanser to clean your face. Jesus comes as that person who can rid you of your sins and clean you from that cleansing to take you. You must be born again. Oh, Nicodemus. Nicodemus's worldview must have been uprooted. How could this have kept? How could this be? I have kept this from my youth. My forefathers have kept the law, and now this cannot be. The story of Nicodemus speaks to you today. You Christian might have been akin to keeping a balance sheet. One side of the balance sheet you have assets, on the other you have liabilities. Under the asset column you write, brought up in the church, give weekly tithes, attend every church function. But I say to you today, cross it out. The only thing in the asset column is Jesus Christ. He's our only asset, all else are liabilities. Yes, we have all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Yes, the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Abiding by the law will not save you. Only Jesus can do that. Nicodemus, you must be born again. Saints of God, you too must be born again to attain eternal life. So just as the prisoner stands condemned because he only acted contrary to the laws of the society, so too Nicodemus, the man of the law, stands guilty before the greatest lawgiver because he failed to distinguish the difference between the gospel and religion. When I think about Nicodemus, how many unsuspecting saints have been burdened with the weight of the law? Because Nicodemus sincerely believed that salvation could be achieved by works. And he preached such just gospel. Oh, and so Jesus correctly condemns Nicodemus. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You're like washed to whitewashed tombs. Took beautiful, look beautiful on the outside, but on the inside you're full of dead man's bones and everything unclean. See, I believe in what Nicodemus had was religion. I believe religion is always man's effort to reach up to God. In other words, we believe Nicodemus believed he could attain salvation by work, but religion cannot can be no substitution for salvation. You may recall the story of Moses when he delivered the children of Israel out of the bondage of the Egyptian slavery. They 
found themselves in the precarious situation as Moses, the man who had led them out of Egypt. Egyptian bondage had been on a hiatus for some 40 days. So what were these, what were these people's response to Moses' absence? They decided to create their own God. Aaron, the brother of Moses, became their leader and led them into building Golden Calf. This will be our God. Oh, how tragic. Living and personal God heard their cry, delivered them out of their miseries, and now they turned away from him. This, I believe, is the tragedy of man in every age. They have turned away from God, the God who's there. They have turned to idols and worshipped the created things rather than the creator. Yes, the rich young ruler may have been sincere in wanting to attain, attain eternal life. And therefore, he created his religion of pious life. All these things have I kept since my youth. But what we need is grace, not works. Have you kept religious rituals since your youth? I've come to tell you that you must be born again. And so salvation is coming, God coming down to man and making him a new creation. As God sees the tragic events, man turning to idols, God in his mercy again sends Moses, hurry Moses, bring the Ten Commandments with you so they can be aware of their sinful nature. Let them know that these laws cannot save them, only the true Redeemer. Oh, how many prophets have been sent since Moses, and they've all been rejected. Yes, we all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us have turned to our own way. Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Seductive teachers like Karl Marx, with his higher Karl Barth, with his higher criticism have not totally rejected the Bible as he says, it's better to believe in something rather than nothing. Believe in the Bible, he says, even though there, the Bible has many mistakes. Peter comes with the message of growing grace, be mindful of Karl Barth, the Karl Barths of the world that will teach half-truths. Peter comes to you today, his message to reject all half-truths, all those seductive teachers who will lead you astray, but grow in grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be the glory now and forever. Yes, salvation is, is God coming down to man and making him a new creation. You must be born again. Uh, what does it look like to go in grace? Well, let's see what it is not like. What is it not? It is not becoming more saved than at the moment of conversion. The Apostle Paul experienced a dramatic conversion on the Damascus Road. Yet the Apostle Paul realized he faced constant tension between wanting to do good because evil was always present. 
Since sin is always present in our lives, we need to grow in grace, grow in the mind of Christ. Growing grace is not becoming more pardoned than when we were converted. Growing grace is not becoming more justified than at salvation. What Christian growth, however, is when I speak of growth in grace, I mean increasing degree, size, strength, bigger, and the power of grace which the Holy Spirit plants in a believer's heart. Yes. We can consider the expectation of physical growth. Think of a child, a flower tree. They need nourishment to grow. Baby has to be fed milk and given a healthy diet for physical growth. Flower tree need to be planted in fertile soil and refreshed with water for growth. You need the Holy Spirit, you need the Word for growth. The gardener may understand the mystery of growth, but he does not understand that the garden, but he does un- may not understand the mystery of growth, but he understands that his garden must be tenderly cared for, given the proper nutrients for the garden to flourish and grow. Consider the Bible evidences of men in growth. Just like a physical nature can grow, God's people do grow. Peter grew from a backsliding to a blessing. Paul from the Damascus road to the Roman road. John from the son of thunder to the disciple of love. How do we see evidences of growth in our lives? In the 18th century English preacher John Fletcher drew up a list so people might examine themselves daily, enabling them to be ready for Jesus. And I believe this list is also applicable to us today. Did I awake spiritually? Did I keep my mind from wandering? Have I got near God this day in times of prayer? Or have I given way to lazy idle spirit? Has my faith been weakened or strengthened this day? Have I this day walked by faith? Have I denied myself in all unkind words and thoughts? Have I made the most of my precious time as far as I was able to? Have I kept my heart pure? What have I done for God's people? Have I spent money on myself when I could have used it for the cause of God? Have I governed well my tongue this day? In how many instances have I denied myself? Do my life and conversion adorn the gospel of Jesus Christ? My friends, when we look at ourselves introspectively and use these as a means of measuring our growth we're able to understand where we stand in our pilgrimage yes evidence of growth shows an increase of love 
According to 1 Thessalonians 3.12 and 4.9-10, the Apostle James asked the question, What good is it, my brothers? A man claims to have faith but has no deeds. Can such faith save him? Suppose a brother is without clothes and daily food. If one of you say to him, Go, I wish you well, keep warm and well fed. Does nothing about his physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, my faith by itself, it is not accompanied by action, is dead. By this all men shall know that you are my disciples, says John. Love for others is the defining sight of sign of faith for all people, marking the life of a true believer. Jesus framed this as a new commandment, using his own example as a standard, giving this charge. Jesus once again predicts his impending death and departure from the earth. How we know that we have passed from death to life? How do we know that we have been born again? John advocates that a person can measure if they know Jesus and have truly moved out of the realm of darkness and death into the realm of light and life, whether or not they love other Christians. Yes, there is no solid evidence in the Christian life. If we're devoid of love, according to that great scripture of reference in 1 Corinthians 13, Fundamental to all that the Lord teaches us is this truth. By this all men will know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. Evidence of growth is an increase of faith. 2 Thessalonians 1.3 What great promises attend this fruit of the Spirit? Most of us are but in the kindergarten of faith. But Paul was mature in his faith. Paul's opening statement, We ought always to thank God for you. Sounds a bit like grinding duty. While obligations is felt in these words, this is not guilt-induced. Paul did in fact feel a duty to give thanks. But the duty was not to the Thessalonians. He knew God's faithfulness and ungirded in their progress. Consequently, an ongoing offering of thanks was due to God. Thessalonians were the occasions of Paul thanksgiving. But God was the source. For it was God's working in partnership with them to will and to act according to his good purpose, which had caused faith and love to increase. Faith is the outworking of Christ's belief. It is not thus doctrinal dogma but coherence of belief and action yes evidence of growth is an increase of the knowledge of God Colossians 1.10 what you saw in Christ when you accepted him compared to now do you know more about God now than when you were saved being controlled by God's will is not an end in itself it's only a means to an end goal is to live a life worthy of the Lord and please Him in every way.
pleasing God is the goal, how do you how do we achieve it? By bearing fruit. Grown in knowledge, being strengthened for adversity, giving thanks for salvation. We please God. Believers please God when they are bearing fruit in every good work. Good works are not means to achieve salvation, but a natural result of it. Good works in the life of the believer pleases God because good works are God's plan for the believer. Furthermore, God is pleased when the believers are grown in the knowledge of God. The more we know of God's character, His ways and expectations, the more we are able to bring our lives in conformity with what pleases Him. Moreover, our lives please God when they are characterized by endurance and patience. Life is often difficult and challenging. At times, circumstances are less than friendly. At times, we need endurance, the ability to pass through an experience and trust God to use, see us through. At times, people are less than friendly. Those times we need patience, the capacity to be long-suffering with people and retaliate when we're wronged or irritated. We all know from experience, however, that staying steadfast through the circumstances and being patient with people is a tough. Is, is very tough. It's often beyond our ability. Good news that we aren't left alone with only our own resources to meet the challenge. Paul reminds us that God's power is available. Believers can please God with endurance and patience as they are strengthened with all power according to his glorious might. It is proper for a Christian to ask God to strengthen them to do God's will. God's will do this. Sometimes it's immediate. Other times it's gradual, similar to where a person is strengthened over time physically. As we yield ourselves to God in trust and obedience, we will be strengthened to do His will. Yes, evidence of growth is a greater desire for holiness in the life. Philippians 3.13 says, I, what a rather is counted to themselves. He counts himself perfect. He who counts himself perfect must deceive himself by calling sin infirmity. At the same time, each must aim at perfection to be a Christian at all. Yes, forgetting those things that are behind. Looking forward, looking back is short to is short to going back, remember Lot's wife. In stemming a current we seize, pulling the oar against it, we carried back. God's words to us as it was to Israel, speak unto the children of Israel, that they go forward. The Bible is our landmark to show us whether we're progressing or are moving backwards. Reaching forward with hand and foot. Like a runner in a race and the body bent forward. The Christian is always humbled by the contrast of what he is and what he desires to be. The eyes reaches before and draws on the hand. 
and reaches before and draws on the foot. Our goal is on to on to where Hebrews 6 1. Therefore, leaving the discussion of the elementary principles of Christ, let us go on to perfection. No laying against the foundation of repentance, of dead works, and faith toward God. What are the means that God used to help us in our great in our growth? Help us to grow in grace, he uses words, as 1 Peter 2 says. You never outgrow your need for milk, and so I say redig the wells of your father. Keep revisiting the well. The word of God is the well, it's the source of life. Meditate on the word, day and night, and it will transform you aid you in your growth in grace. There's a new you coming every day. We grow from grace to grace. Just keep looking in the book. Yes, open the book and read the book and let the book infiltrate every fiber of your being and you will be sure to grow in grace. Use this troubling experience, cause you to grow in grace. Joseph knew what it meant to have trouble, but in the end he came to realize that God brings trouble in our lives because, because he has a divine plan. You may not fully understand it or even agree with it, but it is these moments of uncertainty that produces the biggest growth. In our lives grow in grace Christian friends he uses private devotional time you grow in grace use it public worship and service for your growing grace he uses fellowship of other believers for your growing in grace yes every believer in Jesus Christ has the Spirit. As 1 Corinthians 12 tells us, we're all one body in Christ, and the Spirit gives to every believer one or more spiritual gifts. And gifts are given to the common for the common good. And the church is like a human body. Each gift function in the church presents represents a body part and all parts are essential grown grace my friends yes we uh, started off by looking at uh, the carnal world of the mafia we looked at how Christians and their code of conduct well we as Christian we have a code of conduct it's a righteous code of conduct and the only way to adhere to that conduct is to grow in grace and to grow in grace you must spend time in the word so God can transform you and you can and will be born again by the transforming of your mind
And so I say to you today, are you growing in grace of our of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ? And if and if not, why not? Why aren't you growing in grace? Call upon God. He has all the resources. Battles in life that you face in this cosmic war, in this invisible war. There is a battle for the hearts and souls of men. Yes, God will. He sees your struggle. And he will guide your path. But you must be born again. You must join the Calvary of Jesus Christ and grow in grace and knowledge. And so we can continue to fight the good fight of truth for which the world hates. Fernando Ortega. Leaf says it well in the song where he writes, More love to thee. More love to thee, O Christ. More love to thee. Hear thou the prayer I make on bended knees. This is my earnest plea. More love, O Christ, to thee. More love to thee, more love to thee. Once earthly joy I craved, sought peace and rest. Now thee alone I seek, give what is best. This all my prayer shall be. More love, O Christ, to thee. More love to thee. More love to thee. Then shall my latest breath whisper thy praise. This be the parting cry. My heart shall raise, still all my prayers shall be. More love, O Christ, to thee. More love to thee, more love to thee. More love to thee, more love to thee. May God bless you and keep you. May God allow his face to shine upon you. Be gracious unto you. May God give you strength in your pilgrim's journey as we grow in grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. <laughs>